The Hamlet Podcast, Episode 19. Hello, and welcome to this exploration of Shakespeare's Hamlet with me, your host, Connor Hanrizzi. Our last episode ended with Hamlet's surprise at the news from Horatio and his fellow watchmen. They have been explaining that yes, they really did see the ghost of Hamlet's father up on the battlements, in his full armour, stalking through the night and looking like he might have something to say. Hamlet's last response was an eager, I wish I had been there. Now that the action is getting exciting, so too is the rhythm of the dialogue. The measured back and forth of rather lengthy speeches, which has been flowing steadily from character to character through the play so far, is now broken again. We haven't had this jerkier rhythm since the very beginning, when Marcellus and Bernardo scoped each other out in the darkness of the watch. Again, now, there's an urgency, a feeling of interruption, of runaway thoughts. In last week's episode, we had Hamlet respond and say, "'Tis very strange.' This is almost like a catalyst, kicking off this excited rhythm as his brain goes into overdrive. Take a look at the pattern on the page and you'll see it quite clearly. There are stately blocks of text, none longer than the king's, naturally, and these have been reduced to half-lines, to quick thoughts and speedy answers. Shakespeare wants us to get as excited as Hamlet. We'll go from his last line again. I would I had been there. It would have much amazed you. Very like, very like. Stayed it long? While one with moderate haste might tell a hundred. Longer, longer. Not when I saw it. His beard was grizzled, no? It was, as I have seen it in his life, a sable silvered. I will watch tonight. Perchance will walk again. I warrant it will. We heard last time that Hamlet was particularly concerned to know whether or not the men had seen the ghost's face. Yes, he was wearing his medieval armour, but had the visor, or the beaver, up, and so yes, the face was visible. Not content with that, he double-checks to see whether this spirit had the same beard as his father. Grizzled means mixed through with grey, and it's the same word that was used to name the grizzly bear. Horatio's answer, a sable silvered, is an image that Shakespeare seems to have rather liked, as he had already used it in one of the sonnets, wherein he mentions sable curls all silvered o'er with white. Sable was a key symbol in heraldry, meaning black, and was often paired with argent or silver. Shakespeare himself was rather obsessed with heraldry, and went to considerable lengths in the 1590s to procure his own coat of arms. And yes, you bet, his own coat of arms contains both sable and silver. It's a neat little nod, perhaps, or, if nothing else, it's a very flattering image of the former king's beard. Not just black hair flecked with grey, but a luxurious fur woven through with a precious metal. Horatio, as ever, says things in a very careful, respectful manner. Hamlet is also concerned with what kind of time frame all of this is happening in, and I love that Shakespeare allows for just a little argument between the other men on the subject. Horatio's answer is that it, it was there for about the time it would take the average person to count to a hundred. The others exclaim, longer, longer, and his quick reply is, not when I saw it. Even amid the discussion of a revered king coming back from the dead and stalking through the night, there's room for just a little human squabbling. Of course, we do get to the actual point of this meeting. Hamlet makes the decision to go and see for himself. Perchance twill walk again, and thus we will move forward with the play. 
Horatio is sure that the ghost will reappear, since the three men are convinced he wants to speak to his son. Urgent decision made, we move back into slightly steadier blank verse. If it assume my noble father's person, I'll speak to it. Though hell itself should gape and bid me hold my peace, I pray you all, if you have hitherto concealed this sight, let it be tenable in your silence still. And whatsoever else shall happen tonight, give it an understanding, but no tongue. I will requite your loves. So fare you well. Upon the platform twixt eleven and twelve I'll visit you. Our duty to your honour. Your loves as mine to you. Farewell. Interestingly, Hamlet uses rather theatrical metaphors to begin this little speech. He wonders if this spirit, perhaps malevolent but still definitely an it, might be playing the part of his father, assuming his person. He's still not convinced, perhaps rightly, that this it is really him. But he'll speak to it, though hell itself should gape. This too could be a reference to medieval mystery plays, which often included a grim-looking mouth as the entrance to hell. Indeed, the most recent Arden edition of the play mentions that the Admiral's men list such a stage property in their catalogue in the 1590s. So, even at this rather alarming moment in his life, Hamlet's frame of reference is the theatrical. Of course, he will show us just how much he loves and is moved by the power of the theatre a little bit later on in the play, but it's worth noting even now that it is a reference point for him, a kind of lens through which he views the world. It almost feels as though he's preparing to stage his own performance up on the platform that night. Hamlet insists on confidentiality from his three fellows, begging them to hold their tongues and not reveal anything of what they've seen, and he'll reward them for it, he'll requite their loves. The three gentlemen agree to his requests, rather formally again, and pledge our duty to your honour. This balance between formal and informal has been kind of awkwardly present between Horatio and Hamlet throughout the scene, perhaps because it's some time since they saw each other, or because there are other people present and so Hamlet cannot quite let down his guard, or indeed Horatio can't break protocol and be relaxed with his friend. But it's interesting, and I think quite sweet, that Hamlet rejects their offer of duty, and instead he insists on your loves as mine to you. He's mentioned love first, they say duty, and he recounts again love. Evidently, supernatural appearances bind people closer than mere duty. The three gents depart, and Hamlet is alone again. We don't get a full-on soliloquy here, just a quick summation of his thoughts and a reaction to all of this news. My father's spirit in arms. All is not well. I doubt some foul play. Would the night were come. Till then sit still, my soul. Foul deeds will rise, though all the earth o'erwhelm them. To men's eyes. Despite their discussion of it all in the first scene, Horatio and his fellows have not at all mentioned their theories as to what might have caused the ghost's appearance. All they've done is tell Hamlet that he has appeared. So we see Hamlet himself make the imaginative leap when he says, I doubt not some foul play. Sadly, I can find no evidence to suggest that Shakespeare invented this phrase, nor indeed is this uh, mentioned in Hamlet the first time he ever uses it. It had already appeared in Henry IV and in King John and in Love's Labour's Lost. But there is a pretty good chance, of course, that we still use it today because of Hamlet. 
Whatever the foul deeds or foul play that Hamlet suspects, there's nothing yet that points the finger towards the actual culprit. For now, he has to wait for night to fall so that he can go and learn whatever it is that the ghost must teach him. As ever, Shakespeare knows how to manipulate us too, and rather than having us move directly to the battlements and letting night fall rather quickly, he has a completely different scene waiting for us instead. We will meet two more crucial characters, and indeed get a whole lot more information about life in the Danish court. But for now, we have reached the end of Act 1, Scene 2. As ever, thank you so much for listening. Thanks to SoundCloud Pro, I've been able to see listener statistics that indicate where in the world people are listening from, and I'm thrilled to see that there are people as far away as Iraq and Kazakhstan and even Guam who are tuning in. It's really exciting to know that at this point, we've had a listener in every time zone on the whole planet. I hope you'll stay with me for this journey through this terrific play over the next number of years, because it's going to take years to get through the whole thing. By all means, please get in touch. You can do so via Facebook or Twitter, or of course via our website itself, thehamletpodcast.com, where, as you know by now, you can find show notes and all of our previous episodes. Since we've reached the end of another scene, there's another bonus episode coming your way. And of course, next time, we'll be starting with Act 1, Scene 3. I hope you'll join me then.